Hi, I'm Dr. Don Welch, licensed marriage and family therapist, and welcome to the My Therapist Says podcast, where I moderate discussions between various relationship experts from medical doctors to licensed mental health professionals to enrich relationship skills and communication. This podcast seeks to bring healing and hope to what matters most in our lives, our relationships. If you would like even more content or to speak with a therapist, you can visit us at www.enrichingrelationships.org. Thank you and enjoy. Well, good evening and welcome to My Therapist Says in a very, very interesting and should be very informative and helpful evening for us as we look at pornography and mate's pain. Thank you for being here this evening. And we have switched this to Tuesday evening, so we're still working on getting the word out to everyone. This is a very, very sensitive topic, yet a very important one indeed. I want to welcome you this evening, and just to remind you before we really get started that you are really leading the way here tonight with discussion. We will have a very uh, 10 to 15 minute short uh, introduction and presentation on the topic uh, from Trina Nash who has back with us, and so is Aaron Reinecke. You perhaps have heard of both. They are specialists in this area, and they work out of uh, Reinecke and Associates here in Mission Valley, and they have several other offices uh, across the San Diego County. As we uh, proceed tonight, I just want to remind you that you have a 3 by 5 card, and that 3 by 5 card is a way for us to communicate directly with you. We are live streaming uh, this evening, so we welcome those who are joining us by live streaming. If you do have someone in the future who would like to listen in, but they're unable to be here, physically be here in the auditorium of Skyline Church, we would invite them to tie in through the live streaming. You have that there. So if you have a 3 by 5 card, any time that you would like to ask a question, either just raise that card in the air or raise your hand without a card and we'll try to bring one to you. Once you raise that, in fact, you can do that. I already have one of the questions up front here that someone uh, placed up, up front before we began. So if you have a question about tonight's topic, I hope that you will just raise that in the air. Anyone have one right now? Just feel free to raise it in the air and we'll have one of the hosts uh, come by and pick that up. Uh, this is our 91st production. We are really excited about where My Therapist Says is headed. We've been for now two and a half years uh, actually videotaping. We have four cameras and a switcher and, and actually someone who's producing this, uh, John Train. And we're thrilled about how this information can be uh, dispensed and dispersed, if you will, to other people. Uh, that would be interested in the topics. So I'd like to have a, a word of prayer as we begin, and then we will move right into the presentation, and I hope that you'll be raising your cards in the air so that we can respond uh, to your questions. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of sexuality and the beauty of how that manifests itself as you and the bride in this deep connection. And we thank you that the gift of sexuality is to be in a monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. It's been instructed by you that this is the definitive message of what a relationship is in marriage, and we thank you for that this evening. We pray your blessing upon the discussion that will take place. We have two experts here who work with us on a daily basis. I pray your blessing into uh, their work that they have prepared for us this evening. And as we deal with a very, very delicate and sensitive issue, we pray, Father, that you would speak truth 
into our lives when we see and understand and comprehend and inculcate and assimilate and download into our lives your truths that we are liberated. We find freedom. We find emotional choice and spiritual invigoration because we're, we're working and living in your economy, the one that you created for peace and life and health and hope. So we thank you. We ask your blessings upon this evening, and we anticipate your presence here in a remarkable way. You've promised us where two or three are gathered together in your name for your purposes that the remarkable and the miraculous will take place. So we anticipate that this evening. We give you praise and we honor you in all that we do now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, we welcome you to My Therapist Says. I'm Dr. Don Welch, the moderator. And as we begin this evening, I'd like to do just a brief introduction. You may have seen and read the biographies of our two panel members this evening. Trina Nash is with us. Uh, as you know, she ha has been with Aaron Reinecke, who's sitting just to her left. In a previous, my therapist says they are uh, collaborating, working together as a team, and they work with a, a number of groups and give numerous presentations. So we're, we're so glad that Trina is back with us and to present this evening's uh, presentation. And just to her left is Aaron Reinecke. Many of you may know of Eric, Aaron. He has one of the most longstanding uh, professional Christian counseling centers in San Diego. His main office is in Mission Valley. Both of uh, these individuals, their cards are out front and hope that you would uh, uh, welcome picking up one of those cards. If you have someone or yourself that is in need of working on these very important issues or other relationship issues. So we welcome both of you this evening. I'm always very proud to, of my therapist says the quality of individuals that we have. It was, uh, we had broad announcement about this, not only here at this church, but across the county of San Diego. We're glad that you're here this evening to join us. And those who are joining us, again, via live streaming, we welcome you this evening, and we'll want to get started. So, Trina, do you mind beginning? Thank you. You're good. Okay. I'm glad to see you all tonight. And as I present um, what it's like to discover that your spouse has been going online usually these days, or even using magazines still, um, has been using pornography secretly, what we hear usually is a wife coming in devastated. But I want to acknowledge that many times the shoe's on the other foot and a husband can be devastated also. Um, women are seeking out sexual chat rooms and some visual pornography as well now. Um, but often it's double, doubly shameful for a husband to acknowledge the hurt that's happening and, and so they're still slower to come forward. But I want to acknowledge that tonight. I'm going to try to be gender neutral, but a lot of... Um, just habit is going to turn out with the wife discovering a husband's use. We want to start with a, kind of a role play. And so the scene will be a husband and wife. The wife discovered her husband's pornography use a couple weeks back. And she uh, just was floored and devastated and has spent the last couple weeks badgering him for details and information, trying to figure out the extent of what's happened and the reality of her marriage. He's finally actually told all. 
it, it took him a while. He gave piece by piece, and that's really typical. And so we just want to present what that might be like for them. This is his reality and her reality after discovery. I am finally becoming a man of integrity. I've been betrayed. I've never loved her more. I've never felt less loved or, lo or worthy. I'm now beginning to see just how much I value our marriage. I never realized how little our marriage meant to him. Finally, I'm an honest man. How could he live a lie like this? I've never felt so hopeful about the future. The future's never looked so hopeless. I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I feel weighed down by all of this. What a great feeling to not have to live in secrecy anymore. I can't tell people about this. They won't understand. This is the beginning of my well-being. This is the end of my well-being. She's beautiful to me. I feel so self-conscious about my body. I am ready to commit to this marriage. I don't know if I can stay in this marriage. I'm no longer acting out and struggling with shame. He should be ashamed of himself. My future looks bright. My future looks dim. I understand the healing process takes three to five years. I'm sure I can complete this process in oh, just a couple years. I don't think I can live with this pain for five years. So trauma is a word that means wound or wounding. And that what that role play showed is the trauma a spouse feels when they discover their partner has been involved in secret sin of pornography or any form of lust. And, and there's a wound on so many different levels. And I don't want to list them all to beat a dead horse, but to show the depth of the hurt and of the destruction. And when I work with women, I hear words like, I feel shattered. Um, I feel our, my life has been destroyed. Um, I feel like I've been stamped into the ground and I have to peel myself back up. So they're trying to describe the deep wounding. Uh, one level is a psychological wound where I, I can't really trust my sense of reality anymore because what I thought was real isn't real. And I can't trust my intuition anymore because I thought things were okay and they really weren't. Or I thought they weren't and I let my spouse convince me they were. So um, it's really shaken, shakes a person up to not be able to really trust themselves or, and also a sense of worthiness can be shattered with this discovery. And then there's a relational wounding 
because a lot of times it makes it hard to trust other people. Maybe, um, you know, men become untrustworthy in general, and women, because maybe, you know, there's often, um, there can be women involved. Pornography can sometimes be the first layer of discovery, and then maybe there are other behaviors, but how could women participate in pornography or uh, flirt with my husband? And so there can be anger and distrust towards other people. Spiritually, how could God let this happen to me? Could really sometimes shake up a person's faith. Um, Sexually, there's a wounding sexually where suddenly if the spouse wants to hide, not change clothes in front of their partner, not have sex with their partner, and they feel very ugly and if they choose to be sexual with their partner, that's often very tainted and it's hard for them to enjoy the, the sex or be present to it. Um, I'm having trouble reading without my glasses. Let me see, I need to borrow this. Great. Emotionally, there can be, well, there is damage. Suddenly, instead of being able to peacefully reflect on life or have enjoyment and gratitude, suddenly there is rage and weeping and fear, and and people just feel victimized by their emotions or deadness um, in the early season of discovery. So emotionally, there's damage. Mentally, instead of being able to focus on a task at hand or um, just just be present to one's life, suddenly your brain is hijacked by thoughts of what did the past mean? What were they doing when I was in the hospital? What were they doing when my children were sleeping and I was away? Were they using pornography? Um, What will they be doing in the future? What does our future look like? What are they doing right now? They're not home on time. Uh, So suddenly a, a mind is hijacked. And maritally, what once was a source of comfort and security is now in crisis. Socially, suddenly there's such severe isolation when, when one feels uncomfortable sharing the depth of pain with friends because there's a feeling the friends won't get it or you might be judged or they might gossip or you also feel like you need to protect your spouse's privacy. So there's such an isolating factor to this pain that there's social wounding. Circumstances can suddenly change. People can lose homes if, um, if there's a divorce, if there's legal problems involved, if there have been you know, minors in the pornography. Um, the timing, all of a sudden, now there's a, maybe therapy happening, and so time and money and childcare, lots of disruption with, with um, this discovery. And then I put familial trauma because often each direction in the generations, like how do we tell our kids? Or what if our kids were the ones who discovered it? So there can be real upheaval there. And then do I tell my parents? Should I tell my mom, my dad, or are my in-laws taking sides? So that can be a real source of pain also as the family gets disrupted. And then historical trauma gets reactivated if there have been earlier betrayals in someone's life or childhood that intensifies the current wound. So these are all different layers of trauma that can happen with discovery. And there are specific stages of recovering from this trauma. 
that, that have been noticed and documented, and they overlap a whole lot, and they, they all happen kind of at once, but some more than others at different seasons. So what I've done is put together a three-year calendar to show how long a healing process can be from this type of wounding. Um, just a visual aid, three years is kind of the minimum average. Research shows that a sexual betrayal takes three to five years to recover from often. So I did some color coding. You can cut, yeah, you can see it on the big screen. So the black is the first stage of recovery, um, which would actually be the crisis itself. And it can last anywhere from a day to, you know, several weeks, um, even a couple months, depending on how how much is revealed at once. So if more trickles out over time, that crisis is still ongoing as the, as the person takes blows and feels trust destroyed again and again. If it all comes out in one day, then you know that crisis moment moves by much faster. But this stage is marked with overwhelming feelings, uh, sometimes just feelings of deadness, um, feelings of wanting to vomit, feelings of rage, feelings of devastation, uh, just overwhelming roller coaster of feelings. And then that kind of all eases into the next stage, which I think I put as red, which is an angry stage. It's a, a stage of shock. And the truth is starting to sink in. And they're usually just mostly anger, although still tears and and the other feelings, but so much anger involved for, for months. And there's ambivalence. Do I even want this relationship anymore? And there's detective work, hunting on the computer to see if there's more happening or see if there was more in the past. Um, lots of detective work going on and monitoring. What's my spouse doing right now? Where are they? Checking maybe GPS on cell phones and things. And then that gives way finally to a painful grieving stage. Um, which I believe I put blue for the grieving stage, where it's just deep, deep ache and um, weeping and still some flashes of rage, but just more going into the ache of the hurt and then moving into a repair stage where the focus really becomes on um, changing and changing what needs to be changed, maybe having new boundaries, maybe becoming more assertive and having a voice in the relationship, maybe... Um, dealing with learning new new ways of being in the relationship that you hadn't known before. And then finally a growth stage, which really can last for years or hopefully for life, where you're just really growing and developing in whole new ways, uh, learning to be authentic in friendships and cultivate hobbies and uh, do more self-care and, and kind of a, a new trajectory from where you'd started off living life and the way you did marriage and the way you did family, and then this crisis comes and you had to learn a whole bunch of new skills and cope with a whole bunch of new stuff, and, and now you're headed in this direction. And as you do good recovery work, it can become positive. But and it's a long-term process. So what we recommend is to take an approach of watching and waiting rather than clinging or flinging. I made that up. I like that. So there's an immediate urge to either cling to the spouse and and make a lot of love and be so sad together and we're going to get through this. And that lasts for a little while, but it usually fades out as the uh, shock, angry shock stage hits. Or there's also a very urgent feeling that I need to fling this relationship away. So rather than take either of those quick fix actions, 
really need to just have a prayerful time of, of waiting, maybe plotting out six months to nine months or so to just listen to the Lord. Sometimes the Lord says, stay. Sometimes the Lord says, leave. And so you need to really listen to him instead of to that urgency. And then also you need time to gather information and learn the truth of the situation um, to make wise decisions. And you need time to observe what your spouse's choices are. Are they pursuing recovery themselves or not? So all three of those things are important before, before one makes a life decision about what to do with the marriage. So what can you be doing in the meantime while you're doing all this watching and waiting? You can start addressing the immediate needs. And I listed four immediate needs here with the pictures. That first picture shows uh, a fence, which indicates boundaries that can create safety. So there might be emotional safety needs. Like, you know, you might find yourself raging too much for the safety of the family or your own health, and you might need a time of separation until things settle down and get clear. You might need safety in terms of being sexual until there's STD testing done, if um, fidelity is an issue, or the boundary of using a condom for a season until that testing comes back. Hard boundaries to set, but meaningful and, and needed often. Um, boundaries about where the computer can be in the home um, to create a sense of safety and being cared for. Also, the footprints in the sand represent that old um, beautiful saying that, well, Jesus, where were you when I was going through this crisis? And he says, look, you know, you say, look, there was only one set of footsteps in the sand. And he says, those were the times I carried you. So we need support and we need people who can carry us and will walk with us through um, this terrible situation and this painful season. So the first thing to seek out is going to be support, maybe a therapy group or a support group, a therapist, some dear, uh, real, safe friends. And then there's also simplicity with the, the rocks just spoke to me of simplicity as you pick your steps carefully and prayerfully to, to take things off the calendar so there are no extra stressors as this needs to be front uh, forefront as recovery. And the next thing is... Um, as you face a choice, you know, should I go right? Should I go left? What should I do? The need for information. So maybe the information of what has been happening in my marriage, the information about is this an addiction or not? What do we need to do? Um, those are some information points. Later in the stages, later in recovery, there are three areas that really can be worked on also, which bring a lot of richness and, and change and future safety, which is shifting the dependency from your spouse for your sense of well-being, for your finances, for your future, to the Lord and you. So the Lord can become your sense of well-being in a whole new way. Uh, you can become a source of financial security in case you need to separate. You can um, trust the Lord for your future and your children's heart protection rather than clinging just to the marriage. Those are some shifts that need to happen. And also, your own character weaknesses become clear in this crucible situation. Maybe the rage is bigger than you thought, or maybe old traumas and um, become reactivated. Uh, maybe old rules that you grew up with, like don't talk, don't feel, don't trust. Those types of things get readdressed and can can be worked through. And a lot of people end up drinking uh, upon this discovery because the pain is so great. Or maybe they go shopping too much. Kind of soft addictions, we could call it. Or start reading romance novels even more, just escapism. So some of these, uh, maybe your own addictions get addressed. And, and the third thing there is to cultivate life. Uh, a lot of times I find that... Um, 
the people I work with need uh, deeper real friendships, need hobbies, need self-care. And their life has been all absorbed in either their marriage or their children. And so it's time to blossom. And when you do all this work, you can say, either way, I'll be okay. You know, whatever happens with my marriage is in God's hands now, but I'm, I know that there's a secure future for me. Grief and hard work, yes, but on the other side, I know I'll be okay. And that's what this recovery work does. It brings healing and a deeper sense of well-being than when all your needs are caught up in one person. And so um, that leads us to the abundant life God promises he always holds that promise out. No one is doomed. And so when we do our healing work, no matter what our spouse chooses, God, God says, I have an abundant life for you. And so we need to keep pressing through until we realize it. And so that was what I wanted to share tonight. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Would you join me in thanking Trina for this wonderful presentation? Thank you. Out, outstanding. And it's going to help us this evening as we deal with your questions. There are several questions that have uh, been raised, and there may be those that are texting in questions as well. I'd like to start with this particular question. And again, if you do have a question or if you've already presented your question, just raise your hand without a 3x5 card. We will come, one of our hosts will come and place a 3x5 card in your hand. And if you do have a 3x5 card that you have a question, please raise it at any time during the evening. Here's the first question if we may dive into uh, the questions here. And by the way, I just, I know that uh, I noticed that you are close to being a certified sex therapist which is uh, a remarkable achievement. Am I correct? Thank you. Oh, I have achieved it. <laughs> you achieved it. I missed that. I'm thank so sorry. You. No, it changed. Yes. Yeah, thank you. It's so wonderful that we have very few of those in San Diego County. Are there other Christian sex therapists in, that are certified? Yeah, in our, in our office, there's uh, eight of us now, seven of us now. That are. And, um, you know, I'm not really sure outside of that, but but probably about another seven or so around the county. Very probably. good. We know Dr. Jennifer Conzen, who uh, is with us at Family Counseling Service. She is also certified, and they're going to be bringing a, a convention here working on that. So I'm so glad. I didn't know that many, Aaron. So thank yeah. you for that. Now, there, there might be a little bit of a difference. Jennifer is a certified sex sex therapist yes and what our what our uh, certification in is in a certified sex addiction therapist certified sex addiction okay yeah therapist. so uh, Jennifer's training is really great too she's she's got some really great skills but the certifications a little different okay yeah that specialty is very important and so I just wanted to highlight that forgive me for interrupting but highlighting that skill base that is at uh, Aaron Reinecke counseling and associates, right? So, um, we just say Reineke Counseling Associates because really, my wife. Oh, that's is right. Part of it Excuse as well. Me. And she was a therapist before I was a therapist. We've both been in the field for thirty years or so. But thank you. But um, just in case Melinda watches this later, yes. I want to. <laughs> I, I want to make sure and put that out there. Thank you. <laughs> That's Dr. Melinda, isn't it? Yeah, so, Dr. Yes. Melinda. Right. <laughs> we tease a little bit in our center. My wife, Robin's the CFO, so I always say that I have to behave because she could fire me anytime that she wants. <laughs> you bet. But, um, so we want to give that respect due to that person, your wife. So here's the question. What questions should I ask my husband 
This goes back a little bit to what you were saying that if information tends to be downloaded incrementally rather than really shared immediately, that the question is, um, what questions should I ask my husband so I can really know everything he's been doing? So what questions should I ask my husband so I can really know everything he's been doing? You referred to that a bit. Yeah, thanks. I'll start, and then this question actually has a lot to it. So um, first of all, I don't recommend that a lot of questions be asked because detail, I know, I know there's such a strong need-to-know feeling, and, and a lot of comparison starts happening when women ask, well, what types of women did you look at? Well, how old were they? Oh, did they have blonde hair like me? Or um, did they have breasts bigger than mine? And, and they start, it's based in the, the sense of unworth that comes with this kind of betrayal. And so um, this itch to know, but then if you get the information, it's torturous. And, and then what happens is the scenes play in your mind. It's almost like you can envision the pornography now. And it's very hurtful. So it's good to protect your mind from the ugliness that you're hating that your partner watched. And so I don't recommend asking for details like that. Um, and even asking for how much did you watch? When did you do it? Uh, how long has this been going on? If, if your partner is really open that would work, but so many times they're very guarded and ashamed and scared of what you might do with the information, scared of your reaction. So there's often a minimizing and only sharing a little bit to, to get their partner off their back for now. And that can be devastating to trust because then when the itch to question comes up again and you start badgering again and they give a little more, well, gosh, you told me last time that you told me everything, and now there's more, so now I can't trust you even more. And so it just erodes the relational trust. So we recommend waiting with those questions and asking your partner to go do what he needs to or what she needs to to become prepared to present it all voluntarily at one time. Um, often that requires the support of a therapist, sometimes a support group, um, can help prepare that kind of a disclosure uh, so that it's just all out at one time. And can you can you help us with, when you say all, I want to ask a question because this would be a question I think they would, those listening would ask. When you say all at that point, are you saying giving enough information so the person, the, the, the other person, this would be uh, his spouse, is aware of really what has happened but not necessarily going into great detail. Could you speak to that? Because you said That's maybe right. sharing it all. What do you mean by that? Maybe that would help us. That's right. You, you take that. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a difference between um, discovery. That's when you find out that, oh, this is, something's happened here. You know, he's been on the computer, and, you know, there's, there's a problem. So you've discovered the problem. And, um, and then we, we really make a distinction between that and then disclosure, which discovery, now if you think about it, it's, it's when the mate finds that there's a problem and then she or he is usually very anxious, of course, and is looking for and trying to get more information out of the, out of the spouse, right? Okay, that's discovery. And that's distinct from disclosure because the the addict or the pornography user or the person who's had the sexual, has done the sexual betrayal, 
has to have some time to collect himself or herself and with the help of a therapist or, or uh, a group, you know, uh, have some time to really go through everything, to talk through everything, to figure out, um, even remember sometimes some of, you know, everything that's happened, get the whole timeline together and get it prepared to present it voluntarily to the spouse rather than the spouse trying to get the information out of him, he is voluntarily giving the information. It's a very different emotional dynamic there. One erodes trust and one can build trust. Right. Right. And so, right, exactly. Well said. So then, um, in addition, there's the question of, well, what is the difference? What is all? What, what, do, we, what do we tell? And there's, we believe in our center very strongly in full disclosure. The spouse deserves to know everything that really has gone on, the categories of, of everything that has happened. And that is, that is certain. But wasn't what, what is not in her, his or her best interest is a lot of the details. So full disclosure, but not, not the details that are going to actually sometimes um, really cause some, some more psychological damage in, on the part of the, the woman or the man. You know, for example, sometimes uh, the, the spouse wants to know every, every place that, you know, some activity occurred. Or did you, did you ever go out to dinner with any of these people? Or were you ever... And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes there's been um, something that has occurred, you know, a dinner out, you know, in one of their favorite restaurants or... You know, um, you know they, they used to, yeah, sometimes I'd walk along Seaport Village, you know, and then, then that ruins that place for the couple from that point on. And so sometimes some of these details really aren't really necessary for healing to occur. And in fact, sometimes the details actually get in the way of healing really occurring. This is why it's probably so important, really, with this kind of discussion that, that the couple be under the care of a proven psychotherapist, someone who can walk with them and sense their need as a couple to help them balance this. Um, is that what you're saying as well? Yeah, you know, um, we, we don't want to seem self-serving here, obviously, but, but um, God has used this in a, in a really great way in a lot of people's lives, and um, we do all that we can to to train and to um, encourage, you know, all the support groups out in the area and right here at this church. There's some some great things happening in that in that arena, and um, those can be really helpful as well. But very often, you know, taking taking this to a, a trained therapist that specializes in this area is really um, almost almost essential. Okay. Um, this this next. Um, question. Um, it looks like someone took some great uh, strides to type it and make it very clear. And it's it's a little it, it's longer than normal questions, but I'd like to read it. I think it's a very profound question and some statements. This is from the audience, of course. Men minimize lust and porn as no big deal. Um, this person is saying all men lust. It's how God made us. It's nothing personal, nothing to do with your wife. It does not mean I don't love you. It's men being healthy men. 
It's what we do. Now, this is a person saying this from the audience. So there's quite a bit of pain that's being said here. That for women, it's adultery. Betrayal of vows, searing, blinding us to the core pain. And men are quick to want forgiveness and start quoting God's requirement to forgive and work masterfully at making the spouse the cause of all upheaval and refusing to move on. And this person is asking the question, is this true of men? This is really the question. Are men really, are all men really this way? This is a very, this person has quite a bit of significant pain. This is, I've heard this kind of statement many, many times. And I'd like for you as professionals, could you address, is this true that all, number one, that all men lust? Is it true that, um, that in your work, uh, of course, for women, in this sense, that this is this betrayal is is blinding us to the core in pain. And then it was asking some other questions. But could you respond to that first one? I'd like you to answer for the sure. male part, but first. Okay, first. But first, I just want to validate the pain on the woman's part. That yes. is well said. The searing pain, almost impossible to put into words unless some thought and some time had been put into to describe what it, it's like. Um, and I think it's hard for the betraying spouse to understand that, that pain. Um, and then I also heard in this case that blame is being yes. put on the spouse. Um, and that's never true. Each person is responsible for their own actions and choices. And, you know, I can be a poor wife, and that does not entitle my husband to sin. Um, and so I just want to say that's inaccurate. And there was a third thing in there, too, that hit me. It was the last piece. What was that last piece? The last piece is um, God's requirement to forgive, which yeah, you yeah, said. Yeah. Yes. No, you okay. know, I, I, um, I just want to encourage the, the person who's been using pornography to not demand forgiveness, sometimes not even ask forgiveness. That puts a load. It's getting the other person's spiritual business. Mm-hmm. God calls us to forgive. And if, you know, if healing's going to happen, forgiveness is going to happen. But there's a time frame and a season. Um, and it's not something we can demand of another. It's a gift offered. It's, it's a, a blessing when it comes but it's nothing that we can dictate from another person, and it would be very kind and respectful to to just leave that between them and the Lord and let them bring it to you when they're ready. Yeah, you know, um, on that last topic of forgiveness, <clears throat> I want to tell a quick story. Melinda and I, uh, my wife and I, years ago, and we've we've told this story in public a lot when we speak, but it's been so many years ago, I can't really remember, we can't remember even what it was about. But she was upset at me about something that I had done. And, and she kept going, I thought, from my perspective, she keeps going on and on about this. I get it. I already heard. Yeah, I, I, and I was kind of, you know, I, I knew I was supposed to, you know, just wait and let her get it all out. But finally, I just, I just, uh, I just, Interjected, oh, well, honey, I'm, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And she got this look on her face like, 
And, and then she said, well, no, because I'm not done being mad at you yet. <laughs> okay? And it just really stopped me. And I mm. just realized, well, of course. Mm. Okay? And so then she finished what she had to say. And it was just another, as I remember it, just another couple of minutes. I was going to say a couple hours. No, it really wasn't. Just a couple minutes, a little bit, a little bit longer. And then she was, she was fine. And later she told me, you know, Aaron, I really, I really needed to tell you the whole thing because I really believe in you. I believe that if you really understood what, how this really hurt me, then you wouldn't probably do it again. Okay, that it would have an effect on your heart and it would change who you are a bit, right? Now, that's, that is very true with small things and with big things like this. And really, there's nothing quite uh, as big as this. This is, this is huge, mm -hmm. okay? This is not a small thing. Now, Let's go to the question, I think, of do all men lust? Yeah, but the ahead. small things might take just another couple minutes to explain the pain right. and to be angry right. um, against the violation. Right. But the big things take a few months, right. several months. I, I'm really glad you yeah. clarified that, yes, because what I, what I like to try to get my guys to do, and I work a lot with, with guys in this circumstance, is really to come to the place where they see that, um, you know, as long as it takes my wife um, to come to a place where she's like finished with working through all the pain, I'm gonna be with her all the way through this, whatever it takes to have this kind of whatever it takes mentality. Because, um, you know, some of us, we have that mentality, men and women, about other things. Like for me, uh, basketball, you know, making, you know, it started with making the junior high basketball team. I just wanted to make that junior high, I, and I would do, I did just about anything I had to do to make that team, and actually I didn't make it. So then in high school, I had the same, you know, it just spurred me on, and I made the basketball team in high school and actually played some, and, and it was, you know, but I had this whatever it takes mentality. And, you know, basketball is one thing, but life, marriage, that's, that's huge, right? That's everything. So I like to get my guys to that, that attitude. Right. Now, another thing, before we go to this, this idea of do all men lust and do all men behave this way, I'd like to talk just briefly about the issue of anger and kind of the resolve that you referred to, that we have to be careful, correct, of prematurely moving past the anger. One of the reasons for anger is for the person who's been victimized, if you will, in this, to be able to establish the fact that she had nothing to do with his behavior or behaviors. This is what we do as healthy people. We want to question ourselves, did I do something to cause this other person to go to a catastrophic place of behavior? And so that anger can be a real gift if it's managed well, and if we skirt around it or move around it, could we talk about this for just a moment? If we move around it too prematurely, too quickly, we've actually de-established, we've actually uh, uh, created a, a, an infrastructure crack in the process of healing. Yeah, 
be, we destabilize the de healing. Process. Yeah, destabilize the healing. Right. I couldn't quite get the words out. Yeah, Thank you, Aaron. Right. Could you talk just a little bit about that? Because the one thing I experience so often with this work, and every therapist, of course, I'm not a certified uh, sex addiction therapist, but I work with it often every day almost in my practice, that one of the issues that I find is that women will oftentimes take on responsibility they shouldn't. So I would, I would even go to say if, if there was domestic violence where you were hitting your husband, which is an awful thing to think about, and most of whom I'm working with are not, but if you were hitting your husband and he behaved this way, you would not be responsible for his behavior, his actions, correct? So could we talk about that for just a moment? Yeah, that's a strong statement, but it's true. Each person being responsible for their own behavior. Behavior. Yeah. It's an important concept because I see so many women that will want to take on the responsibility of her husband's actions. And she could even do that through anger. And it looks like she may be denigrating her husband in her words, but it feels like she's still feeling some level of responsibility. I wasn't good enough, or I didn't dress well enough, or I didn't behave well enough. I was imperfect, if you will. I hear a lot of women before the discovery, um, or a lot of times with pornography, there's a discovery years before, and then you know it's, a, it's supposedly addressed, and then they move on as if it weren't happening anymore, and then two, three years later, they find out, oh my gosh, there's pornography again, or maybe still, and, and so it might take more than one discovery to really address the issue and bring it to the surface to be handled, because it's so painful. We want to believe the promises that it's over or that it's not happening. Um, but there is a, l a lot of self-blame, and women will try to do all sorts of things to manage their husband's behavior. Women will buy you know, more lingerie than they normally would or do extreme sexual things or view pornography with him, things they wouldn't choose for themselves, trying to get their husband to uh, care for them and treasure them. They will, they'll do all sorts of, they'll clean the house, they'll get the kids perfect, they'll, they'll do anything to be the perfect wife, thinking that will earn their husband's love and respect. Um, and it never works because love and respect are a gift that come from within the giver, mm -hmm. not something that's earned. Right. Um, and right. so that's a choice that a husband is making. He's choosing to love and respect one or mm -hmm. not. Yeah. I would never suggest anyone go to violence activity. I was only trying to help to create a, a visual for someone because they will take responsibility. And when we typically go emotionally hysterical, we go historical. So we go back and try to figure out, what did I do? How come I didn't meet up to the, the needs of my husband? That sort of thing. Thank you so much. Can we switch then to this, that particular question of this person related sure. to the issue of men and lust? Yeah, so um, some of you have heard me speak before publicly, and uh, you know that this issue of, of um, pornography was really my issue myself um, from the time I was 11 years old, uh, finding my older brother's porn in, uh, in the house I grew up in, and I got hooked, and it had a, really a deep hook in me for a long time. And the earlier you start, typically, the more of an effect it has on your developing brain. And so I was convinced that I was always going to have to uh, struggle and, and work really hard to deal with lust 
you know, my whole life, it was just going to be a struggle. And, and you know, um, as time went on and I got completely healed myself, I've come to a place and I've also seen many, 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 many men, hundreds of men that I've worked with come through to the same place as well that, no, I am not, I am not actively lusting at all in my life. Now, there are temptations that, that come, you know, thoughts that I have and so forth that I used to really struggle with. They still come, you know, into my mind. And, but it's not the same kind of uh, struggle and just, just this angst and, and difficulty to just let them go right on through my head like it, it once was. So um, it... It does not have to be your story as a man that you are a person who is just trapped in lust. It, it, is, it, it, it really has been the most uh, difficult struggle of my life to become free like I am, but it is, the benefits are just so astounding. You know, my wife now is completely the single source of my sexual satisfaction. And it is sweet. It is, it is a beautiful thing. And uh, it's the way God has designed it to be. And, and it, it took work, but I am so glad that I've, you know, put that work into it. I have a thing to share as a woman. Um, I, I think that that husband could actually really believe what he's saying. And, and it could be a smoke screen. It could be just a big bluff to, you know, be able to do what he wants to do and have his wife get off his back. But it could be his true belief because my experience was I stumbled across some pornographic images and they shocked me. It was my, kind of my first time since I was in high school, and, you know, and I was curious and flipped through my friend's father's playboys a little. I'm like, what? So that was decades ago. But then with the internet, suddenly I'm seeing these bare-chested women, very erotic, and it was horrible to my eyes. But what happened to me was for about two weeks, I'm guessing, because I can't remember the exact time frame, women, not even scantily clad, just women would walk by, and my mind would see them naked. Mm. My mind would see their bare chest. And so I imagine if someone's been viewing pornography regularly, that that's how their eyes operate. Mm-hmm. And then if that's how their eyes operate, they think, well, this is the way I am. This is how it is. This is how guys are. And so they could really believe that, but it's false. It, when you stop feeding it and start taking it captive, then I think your brain can go back over time to the way God made us, which is for purity. And he calls us to purity, and he wouldn't do so if it were impossible. And, you know, I, I would just, I would agree completely with Trina. I would just say that time period is quite a time period, okay? For her, you know, it was just a couple of weeks or whatever it was. But really, guys, honestly, it takes, if you start when you're a kid, when your brain isn't developed yet, and you start putting this stuff into your brain, which so many of us have, 
and so many of us did, and you know, kids today are starting younger and younger and younger. It takes uh, it takes a good long period of time to slowly come to a place that you're different, and that process of doing that. I want to let you know that I did not I did not do it well for a long time. I didn't I didn't understand how to do it well, like we understand it now. And I wish I would have had somebody that could have been a, a therapist or a guide for me um, all the way along that process, and it wouldn't have taken nearly as long. It would have taken maybe just three years or four or five years. It wouldn't have taken decades like it took me. So it's possible, but it, it's hard work. And it's not just a matter of hard work, but it's smart work understanding how to do it well and get into a if you can't afford a therapist get into the group right here at skyline or somewhere around the county and and uh link up with some guys that are doing it and learn how to do it and if you're if you're a wife um and you need to get into a spouse's group then get into a spouse's group you're uh, so much better off than trying to figure it out alone and if you're uh, the, the spouse that's been betrayed, I just want you to know that your partner, 99% of the time, a partner is not going to be able to give up pornography in this day and age without outside help, without a, a mentor or a therapist or um, a program or a group. They're not going to be able to kick it on their own. The Internet's too powerful, too available, and too secret. And usually, if they've, you know, watched it this week in their life, they watched it last year and last year and last year. And so there's a pattern built, and it's been too big to kick because part of them feels bad, too, and wants to give it up and hasn't been able to. So know that if he's not bringing in helpers, that he's probably not going to be better long term. And that's information to know. And you're making a good point about addicts. They have an inadequacy that it's a very indigenous within them uh, because they realize at the very core of who they are that it is not right and that it is unhealthy. So the pattern is the sense of acting out, inadequacy, acting out, more inadequacy until it's a ruminating factor that sears or tears at the very fabric of the foundation of the person. That's why it may be very difficult for the person unless they have help, um, professional help with the situation. This question, next question is, if an affair was short, this ties into what you were just talk talking about, excuse me, if an affair was short, like a month, is the healing process still three to five years? Um, yeah. It's because the betrayal is still searing and a deep wound. Um, just like we discussed, um, all those trauma factors c can be active. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. You know, the, uh, the healing process now we're talking about, uh, I'm talking, I'm thinking of it in terms of the, the person who had the affair or the person, the addict, looking at porn or whatever the case might be, okay? Now, I'm answering it from that perspective. Um, I never had an affair. I never had any, you know, physical contact with anyone. I never had, you know, it, it was purely fantasy, porn, masturbation, okay? But 
my the quality of my addictive nature, uh, the way in which I the the uh, the way in which I was addicted was very very powerfully, okay, and so. Sometimes people think, well, gosh, uh, if you don't really haven't acted out with another person, maybe the, the, the time period of healing is shorter. And if you have acted out with other people, then maybe it's longer. It, it, that doesn't have so much to do about it. It's really about the effects of the experience over time on the brain and what it's done to, um, to the brain and that really has, there's assessments that we do every day in our office with, you know, it's quite a elaborate, you know, pencil paper, actually online test. It's a five hour deal to really assess where and just how addicted the person is and how they're addicted and there's different kinds of addiction. But um, just, uh, just because something only lasted a short time, it doesn't mean that there haven't been other behaviors that haven't been going on for a long time. And so it's kind of a big, it's a, it's a big question. Go right oh, sometimes yeah. there, and there could be a one-time, one-month affair also. Right. Yeah. That wouldn't be as hard for the person to get over as someone that's never had an affair but has been um, addicted to porn for a long time. That person might take a lot longer to get uh, better. Because you're talking about the difference between healthily self-regulating or self-soothing. There's a big difference. If I'm self-regulating, I'm doing things that could be very healthy, like good nutrition, good rest, good exercise, a wonderful spiritual daily walk with the Lord. These self-regulatory behaviors create strong self-esteem, uh, a sense of ego mass strength. However, usually addictions have other strings, like you said, other tentacles, if you will, that tend to, to collaborate or cooperate with that particular addiction behavior. And we're talking about pornography um, betrayal here. So that's why I think you were saying that, that it tends to ignite other areas in the person's life. Keep, keep in mind that when we are not self-regulating well, we will move to some sort of self-soothing. Mine is ice cream. I love ice cream. And if I'm not careful... Uh, my Ice wife cream is a, doesn't count. Okay, it doesn't count. Oh, it doesn't count. I'm really good then. Okay. Either does chocolate. Or chocolate. I, well, I'm in good company here this evening. I just feel so much better about myself. I was... You should come and see me every week, Don. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I probably should, Erin. I'll find yeah. out things I don't know about myself. <laughs> I had another thought that I didn't get to mention in my presentation. When we talk about a spouse's recovery, one piece is what we... Um, the the trauma triggers. So the first months, they get triggered a lot. Uh, uh, anything can remind them of the hurt that was done. It could be a beautiful woman walking by. It could be their husband seeming to look at a beautiful woman across the room. It could be an ad on TV that, um, you know, people in bathing suits, anything it could just be the beach. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, um, you know, there's a world of pain reactivated. And so in the early months, if it's just been a one-month affair or if it's been pornography, but the discovery is so painful because it says, I wasn't chosen, I wasn't protected, um, I was lied to and used, I don't feel beautiful, I don't, what's wrong with me? Um, 
so much gets called into question. And so those early months, the triggering is pretty much constant. You know, there's anger all the time. Just at the side, just the spouse is the trigger. So every time you see your your spouse, you're mad. And and then with that anger is a fear, a fear of the future. What will happen to us? And then as the months go by, you know, many months later, maybe you're triggered once or twice a day instead of every hour. And once or twice a day, suddenly you're very fearful and angry. Why haven't they called? Where are they? Um, how could you look at her? I wasn't looking at her. So the triggering happens um, less. And then months later, maybe it's three times a week. And then later, you know, once a month. And then somewhere down the road, like three years later, it could still be every three or four months something reminds you and maybe you're not angry anymore but maybe there's that little ache comes back or that little doubt about the future comes back um, and or when you're making love three years later suddenly you're thinking oh my gosh did they look at this you know online what we're doing now and and so so much is tainted and it takes a long time for that stain to to rinse out and and so the betrayal is what does it, not not the length of time of what was done. Right, because that you talked about that earlier. That oftentimes when the betrayal is is brought to the light, it's no longer in the darkness. Like you you were saying, we're now moving toward John ten ten B instead of ten ten A. Ten ten A says the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So it's in the dark. But we're moving to John ten ten B when Jesus said, "But I've come that you might have life and have it." to the full, correct? So when it's brought to the light, the betrayal, there's a tendency, and you already said this, for in this case, the, the female who's been betrayed, she is now in shock and trying to figure out what in the world has happened. He's already, as you mentioned, both of you did in different ways, he's already moving forward. So they're not in the same place. And I think what I'm hearing you say, Trina, is that it could take quite some time for them to be on a parallel path and there needs to be a large dose of patience. Yes, it's so hard. They I just recently came across in some of my materials that sometimes a fully disclosed and recovering uh, pornography user or sexual addict, they can be up to a year ahead in recovery and the spouse is having trouble buying in mm-hmm. or getting past anger. And yes. so there is such a disjointed season it's really hard to negotiate, which is another reason that both need support. Um, they need a a guide, a therapist, a group, a a friend Mm -hmm. who can help them, encourage them to be patient with each other um, and to be wise in how they handle it. Yeah, this is the most special gift God has given us, our sexuality. And so when there is betrayal, when there is a catastrophic issue now facing the couple, we do have to come together and have those join with us who are professionally, spiritually capable of walking and helping us walk through. That's why I invited uh, both of these specialists here this evening. Uh, they're renowned within the San Diego area, and I'm so glad you're both here. I want to switch questions here. We have so many, and we're running short of time because this is so complicated. It's not easy to, to just go to the next question, the next question, because we could spend so much time on what we've already talked about because we're in some ways not getting to some of the deep issues that we could if we spent just a little more time. Certainly, how do we help our children avoid the path that we, the person put I, chose at 12 years of age? How do we help? What a great question. How do we help our children avoid the path that we and the person put I chose at 12 years old? 
By the way, if I may just give a prelude to that, you'll see it at the end of tonight, but Dr. Jennifer Conzen will be with us, Todd Nicholson, who is the uh, high school pastor here at Skyline Church, and of course, I'll be here moderating the next, on May 5th, we have talking to your children about sex. So we are following this up on purpose with the next My Therapist Says on May 5th, talking, about children, talking to your children about sex. And Dr. Jennifer Kahn's and I mentioned, she is also certified sex therapist uh, who will be with us that evening. So may we go back to that question, how do we help our children avoid the path that we, the person said, or I chose at 12 years old? Uh, great question. And uh, come and hear what... The speakers have to say next uh, next time um, for sure um, what I would say first of all is that you you really have to work hard to get through this crisis yourself in your in your relationship in your marriage and really allow it um, work hard to um, let the Lord use it to really make your marriage better if at all possible and you know sometimes Things just don't work out. You know, I know how life is for, for some of us. But uh, if, there, if there are difficulties in the relationship, um, really work very hard on having real, real uh, attachment and close reconciliation between the two of you. And then because your kids are going to see that, they're, gonna, they're going to see the difference between what it was and then as it heals, what it, what it becomes. And really, it can become better than before. And your kids are going to, ideally what, they, what happens, how the Lord uses it, is that they see the difference, mm -hmm. and that gives you opportunity to, you don't have to disclose everything to your kids, but they see the difference between what it was and what it is. And they will be drawn to that difference. They will be drawn to that healthier version of the relationship. Mm -hmm. They will want it. I think the, the, the thing that, and we have five kids, and, you know, look, no family's perfect. No kids are perfect. No parents are perfect. But, you know, one of the things that, that has been helpful to our kids is that they have um, really seen a pretty good quality relationship over time, and as I've talked with each of them, you know, in their own way, except for one so far, he's not ready to admit this, but they want some version of what they see. That's what they want. Mm -hmm. And so uh, how do you get that version, some version of what they see? Well, here's, here's the healthy steps. And I've talked to all my kids, and my sons in particular, but also my daughters, as it's come up um, about my own story, and um, they, they know the basics, and they know that uh, it didn't work well for me, and I had a lot to work on and overcome to have such a good quality marriage like I have, and you can avoid all of that pain um, if you really want something like your mom and dad have, then just work. Uh, at not giving in to this kind of a temptation because it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna get you there. So the description really is the fact of how deeply soulmate connected you are with your mate, that great example for the children. They'll catch that. You don't have to teach them. 
Yeah, attachment. The, that attachment. That good deep, attachment breeds attachment. Sure it does. And what we say is, you know, at our center that we have to leave addiction and we have to learn attachment. Mm -hmm. Because there's, there's so, it's so difficult for a lot of folks that have been bitten by the addiction bug to even understand what real healthy attachment is really like. But it's, it's the adventure of life, my friends. It's, it's, uh, it, it's just so, it's such a beautiful process of learning how to develop close connection and, and attachment with, with a person. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful gift, you know, that God keeps un unfolding you know, what, what it all means. And one of the great things about attachment is if a person is really healthy, they have really good self-regard, uh, positive self-esteem. You talked about really, you might be referring to Claudia Black's book, It'll Never Happen to Me. In an alcoholic addictive family, you don't talk, you don't feel, you don't trust. Well, the opposite of that is attachment. And when we look at what Jesus did for us, he showed us exampled attachment. He did not withhold anything from his bride, but lay down his life fully. And if you think of that imagery, that is where at the very soul of who you are for that mate, you are willing to lay down your life. You can even go to the feeling if you lost your mate, the feeling would be that you could not survive without them because you're, you have this deep connection of which you are daily, moment by moment, giving to. After you have that relationship with the Lord, of course, you cannot have that soulmate place without that deepened, heartfelt relationship with the Lord, because that's where it's exemplified. And we can only go to the depths of attachment as we are attached to the Father who seeks that with us. But Trina, you were going to... Oh, well, I was thinking, I, I give a talk at churches about helping kids be protected from pornography. And um, I do it with my partner, Corey, and he talks about protecting them with, on the computer with boundaries and filters and um, oversight. And that's really important. And then I take it away and talk about, well, they need to have internal filters for when they're with their friends mm -hmm. or out of the home. And that's exactly the theme is um, placing sexuality within the context of family, like God designed it, mm -hmm. that it, has, it bonds a husband and wife and creates children and um, is an expression of love. And so the kids need to believe in loving marriages. So when you say wait sexually for marriage, A, they need to believe in loving marriage and think, I want one of those mm -hmm. for me. How do I ensure I get there? And B, um, you can talk about, this is going to be a great talk, how to talk to your kids about sex, because masturbation is a topic that's often awkward to speak about with kids, but it needs to be talked about, mm -hmm. um, because you can train your mind for purity through adolescence, because the purity switch doesn't get flipped on the wedding day. Uh, you either trained your eyes and mind well, and then it's easy, the temptations in marriage are you know, are manageable, or you haven't trained it, you've trained poor habits, and then you get married, and the poor habits continue. So you teach them, hey, you want one of these? Then you start now by practicing purity. And I want to say for, for girls, I mean, for boys, you teach them about guarding their eyes, and for girls, eyes too, but also fantasies of romance, uh, the, the romantic stories and the fantasy of the man who will love them, make everything wonderful, the Prince Charming stuff. Mm. It's very detrimental when women get married and they expect their husband to be um, all that. Mm -hmm. and, and so to guard their hearts 
from too much romance in the stories and things. It's that whole concept, too. yeah. The whole concept of guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have run out of time. I can't believe we, we could probably go another four or five days in this conversation. What a wonderful, we'd love for you to come back at another time and we maybe could look at this from a, even a different angle. I know there's significant interest. Those of you who are here are those listening from live streaming. Um, we do want to thank you. Would you join me in thanking our panel this evening? Thank you. We're so glad that you came. And again, I just want to remind you that on May 5th, that's Tuesday, May 5th, 6.45 p.m. right here in this uh, main auditorium at Skyline Church, that we will have talking to your children uh, about sex. This is not for children. This is only for adults, this event. And so we'll be talking very candidly with these professionals uh, as we work together. Again, thank you for being here this evening. Our guests, our panel members will actually be in the back. If you would like to greet with them, talk with them, ask questions about their center and how they may be of assistance to you or a friend. Um, oftentimes, you're the ones who come and you have friends that you're representing that might not be here for a number of reasons. And this would be a great opportunity for you to be able to talk with two real, real mature um, specialists in this very area. I'd like for us to, in the evening, with a word of prayer, thanking God for his presence. He'll be going with us, with you, and giving us wisdom and insight that we would not otherwise have available. He wants to give it to us on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that in the New Testament you clearly articulate that you never withhold wisdom from the believer who asks. And we ask in Jesus' name as we leave here this evening, we've heard from specialists, we've sensed your presence. We're going here with renewed hope. Some of us are going with some chagrined pain, uh, pain that is seemingly leveling us and we pray for your presence as we we leave here your presence makes all the difference in each of our lives and we pray for your wisdom may we again have the ability to have an open heart to be able to inculcate assimilate download and apply with character it takes character to do this to apply your truths we give you praise for what you are accomplishing because we have met together in your name and in the name of Jesus we pray this amen God bless you. Thank you so much for coming this evening.